Well, it is good to be back in the pulpit. I'm so thankful for Pastor Art and uh, T.J. Smith for filling in for me the last couple weeks, but uh, I am eager to be back with you and to be opening God's Word in the book of Luke. Let's bow together in a word of prayer as we approach the Word this morning. Our loving Father, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. The mercy that you show us is undeserved and unearned. The only thing that we have brought to the table is our need, is our sin that required your mercy. And so, Father, we are gathered as a community of humble, redeemed sinners. We recognize our debt to you, and it's a debt that could never be repaid, and we don't foolishly think that we would ever try to do that. We simply bask in the marvelous grace that you've given us. And part of that grace to us is even the revelation, the revealing of yourself through your word. And so as we come to see all that you have written for us, Father, may you open our minds to understand. May you humble our hearts that we might submit ourselves to your holy inspired, inerrant word. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our loving Savior. Amen. Well, as you know, last week, Pastor Art preached on the necessity of treasuring the gospel, treasuring God's treasure, and that there is an urgency to see that gospel shared, that gospel preached. And even the week prior, our Missionary ministry partner T.J. Smith talked about the urgent word preached, that there is an urgency to the word of God that goes forth. And we are here today continuing this theme of proclaiming God's word and particularly this need for people to go out, to be sent to proclaim that word. Apparently, God, in his good providence, wants us to continue to stay upon this theme of preaching the word of God and of going for the sake of the gospel. Obviously, we need, as God's people, as the bride of Christ, we need to keep a passion for Christ. We need to keep a passion for the gospel of Christ, and therefore, our passage this morning will help us to reflect upon Jesus and to think about what role we have in proclaiming that gospel. Because as Christians, we are Jesus' representatives here on this earth. We are commissioned by Christ to represent him to this world. Both individually and corporately, we image Christ to all around us. We shine his light. But the question that we need to ask ourselves, both corporately and individually this morning, is this. Are we faithfully representing Jesus? Are we giving an accurate representation, an accurate portrayal of Jesus to those around us? Well, this morning, our passage in Luke chapter 9 will help us to answer these questions afresh. And I invite you to turn there, if you're not there already, to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. 
We continue our exposition through this gospel as we see more and more of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he calls us to do in light of who he is. Luke chapter 9 begins a final phase of Jesus' great Galilean ministry. Final phase of his great Galilean ministry. This ministry started in the book of Luke in chapter 4, verse 14, where it says that after his temptation, he went to the region of Galilee and began to preach in their synagogues and began to perform miracles. This takes up the first part, the major chunk of Jesus' ministry here on earth was spent in Galilee, which is the northern region of Israel. As he went about Galilee, he proclaimed the fact that he was the king of Israel. He presented himself as the king, the Messiah in the line of David, who had come to usher in the long-awaited kingdom of God. The good news was that Jesus was the Messiah and that Jesus was here. He had arrived. But the hard news for Israel was that in order for that kingdom to come and in order for, for those blessings to come, they, Israel needed to repent of their sins. They needed to not just say, oh yeah, we'll take a savior. Come do all these great things for us. But they had to recognize that this savior, this Messiah was truly the Holy One of God, and that they needed to repent of their sins in His presence. In other words, they, Israel could not enter the kingdom as they presently were. They needed to walk through the door of repentance in order for this kingdom to come. And so Jesus has been spreading this word. He's been preaching it all through His ministry, but now He's going to enlist His apostles to help spread this, this message. And so he commissions his 12 apostles to go on a preaching tour. And our passage this morning describes this event. Luke chapter 9. We're going to read this morning verses 1 through 10. Follow along as I read Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 10. And he, Jesus, called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return... The apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. In these verses, as we look at the commissioning and the sending of the apostles, we're going to see six qualities of faithful representatives of Jesus. Six qualities of faithful representatives of Jesus that should characterize every Christian. 
And so the question we need to ask this, ourselves this morning is, uh, are, is our life characterized by these qualities? Now, some of these qualities are true of every Christian regardless of one's behavior, in which we simply need to recognize that they're true of us if we follow Christ, and we need to, and we need to lean into them. But other qualities require that we put them into action, and therefore we need to seek that they truly are a part of our lives. Now, there's things that are unique about the apostles and their commissioning, as we'll see, but I believe that there are these principles of what it means to be a faithful representation of Jesus, and we'll see that this morning. So first, let's look at the first quality of a faithful representative of Jesus, and that is empowered. A faithful representative of Jesus is empowered. Look at verse 1. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Here, Jesus calls the 12 together. These are the 12 apostles, as is clear from, uh, from earlier in the book of Luke, where we read in chapter 6 that he called, of chapter 6, verse 13, it says he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So back in chapter 6, we talked about how the fact that there were many people who followed Jesus and from that crowd, he chose 12, and he called them, appointed them as apostles. Now, these men were with Jesus the majority of the time during his time here on earth, but no doubt there were times that they arrived back in Capernaum, and some of them went to go visit family, went to go check in on their families. We know at least Peter was married. It's, it's possible others were married as well. And, and so here he says that he, he calls them together. He kind of is, is saying, hey, I've got something important I need to bring you all together. Now, as we talked about back in chapter 6, the office of apostle was a specific, unique office. It was a designation for these 12 men who were set apart to represent Jesus. And it was a unique office because only Jesus could appoint apostles. Now, we know that that there are these 12, and then we also learn in later Revelation, the New Testament, that the Apostle Paul was added as an apostle. But other than these 13 men, these are the only ones in history that can be designated apostles, because this is a unique and formal office that only Jesus can appoint to. As we said, there were many people following Jesus. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 3, 1 through 3, described many women who were very devout and very generous in supporting the mission of Jesus. But it's only these 12 that he designates as apostles. And he calls them together for a purpose. Verse 1 is clear. He is giving them some power and authority. Here it seems that Jesus is recognizing, listen, apostles, you've spent some time with me. I even called you out and set you apart as, as my apostles, but you've witnessed this long enough. You've, you've observed me, but now it's time for you to do it yourself. Now it's time for you to go out and get some ministry experience. And so I'm going to send you out. He wanted to train them. Jesus' ministry, remember, as he sees more and more rejection, he's needing to prepare for a time when these apostles are going to be there without Jesus still there, without his presence. And so he's got to train them. And really, chapter 9 is beginning this great training of the 12. 
You'll see the word disciples or uh, even a, a apostles all throughout this chapter. As he's focusing on them, we begin to see more of their reactions, begin to see more of who they are in Jesus trying to train and prepare them. And so with this, with Jesus calling the 12 together, the apostles and sending them out, they're finally going to live up to their name. Because they see the word apostle means sent one. And so now they're actually going to be sent on a mission and on a purpose. They've been designated apostles, but they haven't actually gone out yet. It's kind of like someone who's going through flight school, and maybe they're, they're receiving a lot of classroom instruction for a number of weeks, and then they finally get put into a plane. Now they actually get to, to put their training in action. And so upon get, tr- bringing these men together, Jesus gives them two things. Notice that. He calls them together and gave them, what does it say? Power and authority. Power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So he gives them the power to do miraculous wonders and he gives them the right or the authority to use that power. So right off the bat, what does this tell us about Jesus? It tells us that he's the sovereign one. He's the one who's dispensing this. He's giving it. He has the authority to hand it out, which means he is the all-powerful one. And so even in the ability to give this power and authority, we see the sovereignty and supremacy of Jesus. But can you imagine the apostles? They've been spending time around Jesus, and now Jesus calls them together and gives them this power and authority. What would they be thinking? How, how would they be feeling? I mean, they have seen Jesus do some incredible things. He's calmed the sea with the word. He's cast demons out of people. He's cast uh, thousands of demons out of a person. Remember Legion, he said, said, for we are many. They've seen Jesus raise a a, a son from from the dead as he's being carried out to his his burial. They've seen Jesus walk in and call a girl off of her deathbed and have her rise again. And now that Jesus is giving them power and authority. They no doubt were in awe that they were now going to be able to use and have the power that Jesus gave and Jesus had. Right? We can understand this. I, I think of uh, when I was growing up and we would go out camping. My dad always brought out the hatchet at that point to be able to chop kindling. And for any young boy, the, the big blade and to be able to chop and hack something is super awesome, and uh, I was just always in awe and, and antsy to want to use that, right? I, wanted, I, I want a chance at hacking something, and, uh, and indeed, it was a special day when dad gave me the right to wield that powerful tool. It was no doubt a stressful day for my mom, but it was uh, a, a special day for me um, as my dad gave me that right and ability to use that tool. In the same way here, these, Jesus is, is calling these men and he's giving them what was rightfully his. He's allowing the disciples to partake in what he had and they have got to be in awe and yet excited to be able to participate. They would have the same power and authority that he had. They would have the authority to cast out all demons and cure diseases. There would be no demons that would be able to stand up to them and say, uh-uh, you're only an apostle. They would have to flee at their word because they are they are standing in the power of Jesus. 
I'm sure they were in some sense in disbelief that they were being chosen for this. Now, there's an analogy here for us today. We are not apostles, and we are not empowered to perform miracles, but as believers in Christ, we are empowered with the Holy Spirit. We have been given God's Spirit. In fact, when the Scriptures are clear that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he then sent the Comforter. He sent the Holy Spirit to come and to be among his people. This is what he, Jesus instructed the disciples to wait for in Jerusalem until the Spirit came. In fact, Jesus told them, it is better that I go away so that the Spirit comes. There is a benefit that's coming to you by me leaving because the Spirit is coming from the Father to come and indwell you and to empower you. And remember Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses as you go and spread the gospel throughout the world. And so when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent the Spirit to empower his church and empower his people. And when he did this, he gave gifts to the church, Ephesians chapter 4 says. And these spiritual gifts enable us to accomplish the mission that God gave us on earth. It's a spiritual strength that the Spirit gives us, enabling us to be sanctified, to be set apart, to battle sin. We can't conquer sin in our own life on our own strength. We need the Spirit to do that. The Spirit enables us to serve. He gives gifts and empowers the church so that we're all gifted with special, unique abilities to be able to serve the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says, and so the Spirit equips us to serve. The Spirit equips us to speak, to declare the gospel with clarity, with accuracy. And so, believer, do you realize that on a daily basis you are empowered with the Spirit of God? Do you reflect upon that amazing reality that God has not just said, oh yeah, you can kind of be in my family, but he's indwelt us and he's given you the power to be able to live a sanctified and holy life, to be able to live a righteous life because of the spirit within you? Do you realize the privilege you possess to be strengthened with that power, to make righteous choices? And do you rely on that power to live obediently? Unfortunately, far too many Christians, having been saved by the power of the Spirit, they try to live the Christian life in the power of the flesh, and they never tap into the power given to them by Christ. They try to press on each day in the power of the flesh, pulling upon only their own resources, and they wind up frustrated and burdened because there's no power there. But there is power with the Lord. There's power with His Spirit. And so this this verse here reminds us, that to be a representative of Jesus means that we are empowered. The second quality that we see in this passage of what a faithful representative of Jesus is, is that they are commissioned. A representative of Jesus is commissioned. Look at verse 2. He empowers them, gives them authority, verse 2, and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So he equips them and then he sends them. And this mission is comprised of two tasks. Do you see that? First is to proclaim or to preach the kingdom of God, and secondly, to heal. First, he sent his apostles to preach the kingdom of God. Verse 6 describes it as preaching the gospel, the good news. And and chapter 4, verse 43, puts the two concepts together and calls it the good news of the kingdom of God. It's, It's all this message that Jesus was proclaiming, and now the apostles are sent to proclaim. And what was this message? Well, it says we mentioned earlier, it's the arrival of the king. Jesus has shown up. 
He is the great messianic king, the one, the long-awaited Messiah who would fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament. They were sent out to proclaim that Jesus had arrived and with him the kingdom had drawn near. Jesus, only him, was able to bring about the kingdom blessings that were promised in the Old Testament. If Israel would repent and believe and accept Jesus, then those kingdom blessings would come. This kingdom was not exclusively spiritual, but neither was it exclusively physical. It was a physical kingdom that would take place there in Israel, but it was entered through a a spiritual door, rather. They needed to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus in order for that kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God, long promised in the Old Testament, to be set up. And this was good news for Israel. They recognized that they would receive victory from their enemies, But more than that, the Messiah would transform them spiritually. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 5 says that the mission of the Messiah was to turn, was to bring back Jacob to Yahweh. Jesus is sent trying to bring Israel back to her God. And so in essence, Jesus through his apostles were pleading with Israel to embrace Jesus so that the kingdom blessings would come. Jesus has been preaching it, and now the apostles are to preach it. Now, who were they sent to? Were they sent to all the nations around, to all the world? Was there going to all the nations and proclaim this gospel message, this kingdom message? Well, this text doesn't make it explicit. Verse 6 says that they went through the villages, which I believe is the villages of Israel. But the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 10 makes it explicit. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 6 Jesus says this, he says, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is a huge flag that something going on here is different than what happens at the end of the Gospels that happens in the book of Acts and happens in the epistles. Because what we know through the rest of the New Testament after Jesus is risen from the dead is that the Gospels to go to all the nations, and we'll look at that later, But here is a unique calling, a unique commissioning. The apostles are sent not to the Gentiles, not to the Samaritans, but only to the house of Israel. This is because Jesus was presenting himself and the kingdom to Israel. Israel had to make a choice, and he was presenting himself in this way. But in addition to the preaching, if people wondered or doubted, There was something else to back it up, and that was the healing. It says, verse 2, that they were sent to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. That's the second task that they had. They were to heal. Now, why did Jesus have them heal? Why were these miracles attached to the proclamation? Well, it's as we've seen throughout the book of Luke, is that miracles help confirm Jesus' identity. They showed to Israel that he was not just another prophet, but truly he was the Messiah, the divine son of God. You'll remember back in chapter seven that John the Baptist, he's in prison. He is Jesus' relative. He's the forerunner of the Messiah. And yet there he is in prison. And he's wondering, is this really the Messiah? I'm not quite sure. And he sends messengers to Jesus. And those messengers go to him and they say, hey, John wants to know, are you the one or are we just to wait for somebody else? And Jesus says, hold on a second. And he goes and he heals people all over the place. 
And then he turns back to the messengers and he says this in Luke 7, 22. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Those are all quotations from the Old Testament. He's saying, go tell John that what the Old Testament predicted is happening here now. I am that one. And so these miracles confirm Jesus' identity. And now as the apostles are being sent out to proclaim the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the miracles will confirm their message that indeed the king is here. These men are operating in the power and authority of that king. And so it's like Jesus will tell the 72 messengers in chapter 10 when he sends them out, Luke 10 verse 9, he says, heal the sick in the town and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. These messengers are going out, they're proclaiming the message, they're healing, and they're saying, listen, the point you're supposed to get out of this is that the kingdom of God is near if you would but repent and believe in Christ. Believe in Jesus. And so we're looking at these qualities of a representative of Jesus. Here in verse 2, we see the apostles are commissioned or sent. And in a similar way, Christians today are commissioned by Christ too, are we not? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, records what has been called the Great Commission. The Great Commission that has been given to the church. These are the marching orders for the church, in which it says, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We know this is a command for the church for all of time because of that last line. He says it's, he's with us to the end of the age. He's with every succession of believers as we carry out this mission, as we are commissioned by Jesus to be about this task. This commission you see in the other Gospels too. In fact, at the end of the book of Luke, the author uh, Luke there records Jesus' words to the disciples in, chap- in verses, uh, chapter 24, verses 46 through 49, where it's, Jesus says, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sh- sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Do you see the great similarity with even the commissioning here in Luke chapter 9? There's this idea of going out with a message. This idea of being clothed with power on high from the Holy Spirit. But there's two significant differences. One that we've already mentioned. In Luke 9, they're only sent to Israel. Here in chapter 24, they're sent to all the nations. And the second difference is that in Luke 9, the commission included a command to heal. Here in chapter 24... And in what we saw in Matthew 28, there is no command to heal. And in fact, no such command is found in any of the Great Commission passages. It is all a commission to proclaim. It is all a commission to preach. There is not a commission to the church today to heal. Now, even though the book of Acts records the apostles performing miracles, it was not included in the command of Christ. Why? Because these commands are indicative for the entire church age. In other words, the Great Commission for the church in the first century 
And for the church in the 21st is to proclaim a message. We proclaim Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen again. That is the message that goes to all the nations. We have no command to go into all the nations and heal the sick. Therefore, I believe an important note at this point is to say that those today who claim to be preachers of the gospel and yet claim that signs and wonders need to accompany that message are not being accurate representations, representatives of Jesus Christ. These people do not preach the true gospel, but rather they distort it. These false teachers include people such as Todd White, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, and Bill Johnson in his Bethel church. These men are not faithful representatives of Christ because of the ways they twist the gospel. And they add in this idea to heal and along with all other false doctrine. And so we can see that our commission today involves preaching the gospel. And this has been the mission of the church for 2,000 years. We go into all the world telling people about who Jesus is and that forgiveness is offered in his name. And by proclaiming this message, we make disciples. We see people one to Jesus Christ. They repent of their sin. They confess him as Lord. And then they walk in obedience through their life. And thus a disciple is made. A disciple is matured. And so Christian, this is your commission today. To be proclaiming the message of Christ. Yes, we are about our lives. We, we raise a family. We have a job. We enjoy life. But we have orders from our Lord to be preaching a message. My calling involves doing it from a pulpit just about every week, as well as throughout the week. You all have a calling to proclaim Jesus in all the spheres of influence that you have. You are called to... Keep the gospel and Jesus upon your tongue as you share to those around you and for the reason, the hope that you have. We gather for church on Sundays, but we scatter with the message. We are forever a, a, we're, we're sent into this world with this message. And so I ask you, do you live with a sense of mission? Do you wake up each day and recognize that you are empowered by the Spirit and you are commissioned by Christ to go into your spheres of influence with the gospel? You are a representative of Jesus, commissioned to tell others the good news. And don't lose sight of the privilege that that is. So empowered, commissioned, thirdly, instructed. Instructed. The third quality we see here. We see this in verses 3 through 5. After sending them, in a general sense, we then hear Jesus speak, and he gives them some specific instructions. It says, verse 3, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever you, they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So here Jesus gives specific instructions to the apostles on packing and on lodging. Packing and lodging. First, he says to pack light. They've got to pack light. They're not to take anything extra. 
and they're not to grab those extra provisions. They are to head out the door with virtually the clothes on their back and to instantly, immediately begin this mission of proclaiming Jesus. Now, we know when we travel, we love to take all the things that we might need, right? Of course, there are two different kinds of packers, right? There's the packers that prepare for every contingency and their suitcase is yay big. And then there's those that just take the necessities and their suitcase is yay big, right? Uh, Jesus is saying, you shouldn't be taking any provisions. You just need to head out and be about this work. Now, why does Jesus say this? Why does he not let them take two tunics? Why does he let them bring an extra shirt? Why does he not want them to take a money bag or bread? Well, I think there's a few reasons for it. First, as I said, the message was urgent. Jesus wants his message to go out and go out today. They're not going to go back home and do all this collecting. I think of, uh, I just read the, the book, The Hobbit, to my, my girls, and Bilbo is forced as he is sent upon this long journey to head out the door without even, gra- out the door without even grabbing a handkerchief. And uh, even though he would love to probably spend a week packing and get all his provisions, he's just rushed out the door. And because of the urgency of the mission, the same is true here. Jesus is sending them out. There's an important thing to do, and they've got to go. Jesus also, secondly, doesn't want them to be focused on provisions. He wants to be focused on the task. Listen, put all the other stuff, that is all extraneous. That is, that is not key. That is not necessary right now. The most important thing is that you go and you proclaim and you heal. The message is to take top priority. And this would be clear to those people watching them. These guys would stroll into a town and they wouldn't see a guy toting a donkey with all these provisions. They would see guys with nothing with them not even carrying bread, not even having a money bag. And because they were so urgent with their message. But they also, I think Jesus wants them to trust God. To trust that as Jesus' representatives, the Father would take care of them. And so they go out with nothing. Now, if you read the parallel passage in Mark, and I just note this because there's a slight difference. Mark says, take nothing except the staff. That says it seems like you don't take anything except a staff. And here, as well as in Matthew, he says, don't even bring a staff. And and so there seems to be this incongruity uh, between the two accounts. I think the best explanation is that when Jesus is saying here is that there shouldn't be an extra staff. I get that because a chapter later in chapter 10, when he sends out the 72, he tells them to not bring any sandals. He says, no sandals. Now, it's, it's pretty much widely agreed that for messengers to go throughout the land of Israel, walking dozens of miles on rocky ground without sandals is, is almost impossible. And so it seems that Jesus would be indicating there they shouldn't bring extra sandals. They should just have the ones that they have on and not bring anything extra. I think the same then would be applied to here, that Jesus is simply saying, don't be grabbing extra staffs, don't be grabbing extra things, but just head out with what you have. Now, he tells them that when they enter a town and someone says, hey, come on in, come to our house, and they show hospitality, they should take them up on that offer. They shouldn't go, let me look around. Ooh, that's a little small in there. Let me, you know, I'll, I'll get back to you. Let me go check out another, uh, oh, your offering. Let me see how big your house is. Ooh, that looks nice. I th- I, you know, I think I'm going to take their, their lodging over there. Jesus says, no, when they accept you, you go in, you camp out. That's where you're, you're going to stay until you depart. And then from there, depart. Don't focus on lodging. Just as soon as you're welcomed, go right in. Don't get sidetracked. 
But likewise, it says, if you go and you're not accepted and you're pushed away and you're rejected, he says, verse 5, if they don't receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. This is saying, the apostles essentially saying, we are done with you. You did not accept our message. You did not accept the, the message of Jesus. And so we are done with you and we're shaking this dust off. They are essentially in a state of judgment. It's possible for them to repent and turn again. But at this juncture, they have stiff-armed the message of Jesus. And therefore, they are shaking off the dust as a testimony against them, showing that God is really against them for such rejection. And so the apostles are given instructions on their mission. We too are given instructions of our mission. Now we aren't given these same instructions. In fact, we're sending out the Smiths and they are going with extra provisions. Okay, they, they are taking some money with them. They're taking extra clothes. Uh, they, they are going with extra things. They, 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 these things are not meant to be indicative for all missionaries or all Christians for all of time. This was unique for this season and for this mission. And yet, what we can learn from this, I believe, is this. We likewise need to trust God for our provision, our provisions. We need God to provide, trust God to provide for our needs. We do not place our hope and our trust in our money, in our possessions, in our ability to work and accumulate. Because friends, this world is not our home. Amen? Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, we live in a consumeristic age in which we buy and we buy and we buy and we accumulate and we try to make ourselves happy with all this stuff that we get the materialism and the greed and all of that can sink into our hearts without us even knowing it because it's all around us. It's like a fish not knowing they're wet because they're just in the, in the ocean. But friends, if we're going to be about the, the mission that Jesus gave us, if we're going to be about proclaiming the gospel to the world, we cannot be weighed down with all of this stuff and with these burdens and concerns upon our hearts for the stuff that we have. We've got to travel light through this world. We've got to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, invest in people, invest in the work of the gospel, and, and not be distracted. Too many Christians are ambassadors for Jesus who are distracted in the, in the relentless pursuit of more. And so we need to examine our own hearts, friends. Are we ambassadors for Christ on a mission with our eyes set on what is truly valuable? Are we traveling light through this world? Or we've been too weighed down. May the Spirit give us wisdom as we evaluate our own hearts. So a representative of Jesus is to be empowered, commissioned, instructed, fourthly obedient. Look at verse 6. Obedient. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is a verse that simply says, what Jesus told them to do, they went out and did. They were obedient to the commission, to the command that God had given them. We don't know how long this was. It could have been a few weeks to a couple months, possibly as these teams spread and walked throughout the villages of Galilee. But they heard their marching orders and they obeyed. 
and did exactly as Jesus instructed him. Notice, again, the two-part mission. They accomplished those two things. They went preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They didn't neglect anything that Jesus had given them. And so I think the simple takeaway point for us today is that we too have a commission that we likewise need to be obedient to. You see, as a Christian, that means that we're a follower of Jesus. And the fundamental confession of the Christian life is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord means he calls the shots. Lord means he sets the agenda. Lord means he gives us commands and instructions that we must obey. They aren't optional. They aren't opinions that we should consider. We can't excuse away his commands because he has all authority over our lives. We can't claim ignorance because he's given us a book. We can't pick and choose what to obey. He's told us to observe all that he has commanded us. And so... I ask you, do you have a heart of obedience to Christ? Do you say to to Jesus, wherever you send me, Lord, I will go. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I will do. Whatever you want me to say, Lord, I will say. That is the heart of a slave of Christ, someone who is submitted to him as Lord. I want to do whatever you have for me, Lord. And so I in light of the context of this passage of of the commissioning of being sent out, I ask, how is your obedience to the Great Commission? How is your obedience to the commission that Christ gave to you? He said to go into all the nations and make disciples. Can that be said of you, that you've been about making disciples, proclaiming the message of forgiveness of sins? We each need to be devoted to the task of making disciples. It begins with each one reaching one. We each have to see that we are empowered by the Spirit to be able to be the witnesses for Christ. Are you seeking for opportunities to declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Do you want to tell the world the wonderful news that your soul is saved through Jesus? Are you praying for those who don't know him? Are you praying for the lost? Are you seeking for opportunities to share with them? I pray that the Holy Spirit enables Foothill Bible Church to be on fire for Jesus, to have a clarity with the gospel in these days in which there is darkness all around us, in which there is encroachment on the truth, in which wickedness is being enshrined to law, that we would be faithful to the Lord, that we would proclaim that gospel far and wide, no matter the consequences for his glory alone. May his spirit do that in us. Empowered, commissioned, instructed, obedient. Number five, reflective. A representative of Jesus is reflective. Reflective of Christ. Verses seven through nine, it looks like the scene changes a little bit, but in the way that Luke recounts this, it's actually sandwiched in the midst of this apostolic preaching tour. Because verse 10 says that the apostles have returned. So in the midst of the apostles being out preaching, do we have this little episode about Herod the Tetrarch? Herod the Tetrarch was Herod Antipas. He is the one who put John the Baptist in prison and as we see here, killed John the Baptist as well. And so he's been hearing whispers about these 12 apostles. No doubt about Jesus himself, but then also about these apostles going out. And he's, it says, verse 7, that he's perplexed. He's sitting there puzzled on his throne going, wait a minute, who is this? 
What's going on? And he starts asking around, and, and some say that John had been raised from the dead, by others that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And we, he's just, he's just cycling through these, and it seems that he camps out on the fact that it's, it, it might be John. Why is that? Why in verse 9 does he go back to John being beheaded as maybe the most probable explanation? I think it's because this ruler has committed a great sin and that guilt is sitting upon his conscience. He knows, John I beheaded, it says, verse 9. John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? It's coming back to haunt him. But the point I want you to see here is this. Jesus commissions and sends the apostles to go out into all the world or go out into all of Israel preaching this message. But it's the apostles preaching this message that causes Herod to think about the apostles? No, who does Herod think about? Herod's mind is set on Jesus. In other words, the apostles accurately proclaimed Jesus. They didn't go out proclaiming themselves. They didn't go out drawing attention to themselves. They go out, went out proclaiming the Messiah and that message got through all the way to Herod because it was, Herod was set on thinking, who is this? Who is this? And so they were reflective of Jesus. And this is true of all, all true representatives of, of Christ, that they want to reflect him. They want to see Christ in them. They want the message to be about him and not about themselves. And so may our message, may our lives not be about proclaiming ourselves. May we not make much of us. Let's make much of Christ. We want the world to grapple with him, not grapple with us. We are simply the ambassadors. We are simply the messengers. We want the world to come face to face with Christ and for them to ask, who is this? And this is really a question that all people need to answer. Who is this? Who is Jesus? And that's true for all of us here this morning. Who is Jesus? If you're listening this morning and you do not know who Jesus is, you need to be informed to know that Jesus is the great Son of God, the one who was sent in order to redeem sinners. And he is the one that provides life for all who would repent and believe in him. And so salvation and forgiveness of sins is offered to all who would come humbly and confess their faith in Christ. He is the only true and righteous king. He is the only hope of salvation, for there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's look at the final quality of being a representative of Jesus this morning. The final quality is accountable. A representative of Jesus is accountable. Look at verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Now, verse 10 is a new paragraph in just about all translations, and I understand why, but it closes out this apostolic mission. And so I think it's important for us to kind of close out this, this mission here, this first part of verse 10. When they finished their preaching and healing tour, they returned and reported to Jesus all that they had done, and it was a successful mission. They had done a lot, 
and they wanted to share it with Jesus. But here's the principle for us this morning. All those who are sent out by Jesus will one day stand before Jesus face to face. There's going to be an accountability. Here, physically, as Jesus walked upon this earth, he sent them out, and then they came back and reported to him all that they did. They needed to be faithful so that they could give a faithful report when they came back. For us today, we are sent out by Jesus with a mission and a message. And we will one day need to give an account for how we have lived, give an account for how we have obeyed. And it's in light of this accountability that the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we make it our aim to please him. We know we're going to see him. We know there's going to be some sort of evaluation. And so we want to do all that we can to please him. So that one day we stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. So believer, I ask you this morning, are you living as a faithful representative of Jesus Christ? Are you seeking to please him? Are you seeking to obey him? Are you seeking to proclaim him? Are you telling people about him? Is Christ on your mind, on your heart, and on your lips? Is he the treasure of your heart? We are sent into this world with a mission to make disciples through the proclamation of the word of God. This is a mission that each one of you is given. No one is off the hook. Whatever your circle of influence, you are commissioned by Christ. What a privilege that is for you to be his representative and his ambassador to the people, the friends, the family, the neighbors in your life. And I pray that we would live in such a way that would have this gospel burned upon our hearts, that we burden for the lost around us who are going to hell without Christ, that our hearts would be aflame with love for Jesus. It would not be neglectful and slothful to sit upon this great treasure. As we heard from Art last week, right, the, the people in foreign lands would say, wait a minute, how long have you had this truth? How long have you had this gospel? And you're just now bringing it to us? Friends, we have the greatest treasure in the world. May we be faithful to proclaim it, even if it's just taking one small step this week to pray for that lost family member, to pray for that neighbor, and to Seek to raise spiritual conversations with the people around us. May God strengthen us for this.